I've already been blessed. We can go home, right? No, I'm just teasing. Don't anybody get up. Today we're going to begin a three-part series from the parable of the prodigal. Now, you know that a parable is an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. So there is the spiritual message of a parable. And as we look at this parable, perhaps we should begin by identifying the characters in the parable. The prodigal represents the Gentiles, the sinners. The elder brother represents the scribes and the Pharisees. The father represents God. And the citizen of the distant country represents Satan. Now there are three parts to the parable and in all three parts something is lost. It begins by telling about a shepherd who lost a sheep and then it tells about a woman who lost a coin and it goes from there to tell about a father who lost a son. In all three instances that that was lost is found and there is rejoicing. So as we look at the parable, we are looking at the third part of it, the story of the prodigal. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 15, and we'll begin reading in verse number 11. And he said a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be in need. And he went out and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For the son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to be merry. Now that is the story of the prodigal. And as we begin, we begin with the son's departure. It is important to understand that this is a picture of our departure or a person's departure from God. As I look at his departure, it was premeditated. You'll notice in verse 12, 
And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. This young man wanted to be free. He wanted to be independent. He wanted to live his own life. He didn't want his father telling him what to do, selecting his friends, telling him when to be home at night. None of those things. He wanted to be independent. But here's the irony. In his quest for independence, he was dependent on the father. He came to his father and said, Father, I want to be independent. I want to live my own life. I want to do it my way. So, Dad, what I need from you is for you to give me enough money so I can be independent. Albert Barnes wrote, The division of property among the Jews gave the elder son twice as much as the younger. In this case, it seems the younger received only money or movable property. So the boy came to his father and said, Father, I want the inheritance that belongs to me. It was not required for the father to give the inheritance to him. In fact, it wasn't even normal. Normally, the inheritance came at the death of the parent, but this boy wanted it now. So as I, I look at his departure, I see, first of all, that it was premeditated. He was thinking about having a life free from his father. Not only was it premeditated, it was progressive. Look at verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. So as I look at the story, the boy stayed around for a few days. He received his inheritance. He stayed around for a few days. He made his plans, and then he departed. The Bible says that he went to a distant country. As a physical place during this time, the boy would have probably gone to Rome or to Antioch. For young men who wanted to be free, they wanted to sow their wild oats, they wanted to get away from the authority of the parents, that was normally where they went at that time. But this is a parable. And you remember that a parable has a spiritual meaning. So what is the meaning to us? What is the distant country? Ladies and gentlemen, the distant country is anywhere away from God. There are probably some of you present this morning who are in the distant country. Though you are in the church, sitting in a pew, in your heart, you are in the distant country. Possibly there are some in the choir, you sing, but in your heart, you're in the distant country. What you need to understand is that anywhere away from God is the distant country. This boy went to a physical place and you and I go to a spiritual place and we are in the distant country when we are away from God. His departure was progressive, happened a little bit at a time. As I look at the story, he had a desire. He wanted to be free from the Father. He wanted to be independent. He wanted to live his own life. 
So he made a decision. He was going to ask for his inheritance. He went to the father and asked for his inheritance. The father gave him the inheritance. He stayed around a few days and then he departed for the far country. Happened progressively, a little bit at a time. My friend, when we go away from God, it happens a little bit at a time. I know that people seem to think that Someone is serving the Lord one day and the next day they are in the far country. It doesn't happen that way. It happens a little bit at a time. It happens progressively. We take a step, we take a step, we take a step, we take a step, and we find ourselves in the distant country. It happens a little at a time. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 1 details the progression of our going away from God. We begin by rejecting the truth. In Romans chapter 1 verse 25 it says, For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. We begin to go to the distant country when we reject the word of God, reject the truth of God's word. You remember in the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve, Eve specifically, was tempted with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And she said, no, God has said that if we eat from it, we'll die. You remember what Satan said? The temptation? Hath God said, did God really say that? If he said it, is that what he meant? You know what he was doing? He was writing a question mark over the word of God, the veracity of of scripture because that's always where it begins you see we begin our journey away from God when we begin to reject the truth of God's word the principles of God's word and then that has an impact on our worship he continues in that verse Romans chapter 1 verse 25 and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator you see what happens In the book of Romans, Paul says what happens is that we begin to question, we begin to reject the word of God. When we reject the word of God, then that determines our worship. And so we begin to worship creation rather than the one who created. Is that where we are today? There is a rejection today of the word of God. At the same time, there is a growing commitment to extreme environmentalism, which is pantheism. So as we reject the scripture, we move away from the worship of the creator and we begin to worship creation. And then that leads to a depraved mind. In Romans chapter 1 verse 28, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. So according to what Paul wrote, he says, when they decided not to to, uh, adhere or believe or commit to the word of God, God gave them over to do those things that are not approved to a depraved mind. You know, sometimes when I look at the things that are happening in society, 
I say, what in heaven's name are they thinking? In fact, I, I said to Linda just recently, I said, it seems like people can't connect two dots today. They only see one. I want to do this without realizing that it leads to a consequence. And the only way I can explain it is that people today have rejected the truth of God's word. They have gone away from God and as a result, they have ended up with a depraved mind. That is the only way that I can explain it. So we begin by seeing the son's departure. He left his father's authority. And then we see the son's depravity. Because the far country, the distant country, always leads to depravity. He went to the distant country, which was a land of waste. Look at verse number 13. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Biden says the word squandered literally means to scatter abroad. Scatter abroad. We go to the far country and we begin to squander. We begin to waste. Money. This young man had just received his inheritance. He had money. But in the far country he squandered it. In the far country he wasted the inheritance that he had received. In the far country, morals are scattered. I think about this young man and growing up in the home that he did, the morals that he was taught, but there in the far country, he lost them. When God first called me into ministry, I was just excited about the Lord. I didn't know what I was doing. So I still don't, but I, did, I sure didn't then. I just wanted to serve the Lord. I wanted to tell people about Jesus. That was it. So a friend of mine and I used to go down to the Skid Rose in Oklahoma City and I, I learned a lot of lessons down there. But there were people, there were winos, alcoholics, all those things that are part of it. But I went down there to witness to tell them about Jesus, that Jesus loved them. I remember meeting an attorney there, a guy who had been an attorney, he lost it all. I remember standing outside a bar one night, a guy came out, I began talking with him. It became obvious to me in short order that he knew more about the Bible than I did. And I asked him the question, I said, how, how is it you know so much about the Bible? Because he owned the bar. He said, oh, I used to be a Baptist pastor. My uncle left me this bar and so now I run this bar. Morals are squandered there. Families are squandered there. How many families are lost in the distant country when we go away from God? And we lose our families, careers are squandered in the far country. It is a land of waste. Folks, listen to me. I want you to understand when you're in the far country, when you go away from God, that you have gone to a land of waste. Things are squandered there. It was also a land of famine. He continues in verse number 14. A severe famine occurred in that country. The land with, without authority, the, the land apart from God is appealing but for a short time. When Satan tempted Eve, it was appealing to her. The Bible says in Genesis 3, 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, 
She took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Things have not changed, have they? Satan tempted her. The Bible says that it was a delight to the eyes. This that had been forbidden by God was a delight to the eyes and desirable to make her wise. She was going to be wiser as a result. I, I want to acknowledge that the far country, the temptations of Satan are a delight. They are attractive. And if they were not, then we would not be tempted. But you must also understand that it always leads to famine. Satan tempts us with all the glitter, but it ends up in famine. It was a land of want. He continues in verse 14, he began to be in need. The word need literally means deficient. The distant country is like cotton candy. You know, you go to the fair and they have cotton candy. I mean, it really looks good. You take a bite of it and there's nothing there. It's just whatever it is. Well, that's the way the distant country is. It's like cotton candy, but it does not satisfy. Isn't it interesting that the distant country is so attractive to us, but it never satisfies? As I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, it doesn't even satisfy sensually. Now, you would think it would, but it does not even satisfy our sensuous desires. How many times have I seen some guy, he's married, has a family, and, and then along the way somewhere he meets his soulmate. I mean, he, this is my soulmate. I got the wrong woman over here. This is my soulmate. And so in time he decides that he's going to leave his wife, going to leave his children, going to leave everything behind. He's going with his soulmate. You know what happens? In a rather short time, routine sets in. And he starts looking for another soulmate. Why? Because it didn't satisfy. You see, when we're in the distant country, there's always something that catches our eye. There's always the glitter. There's always something. But it does not satisfy. It does not satisfy sensually. It does not satisfy spiritually. There's within us a desire for God. But you will never have that desire fulfilled in the distant country. Then we see the landlord who represents Satan in verse number 15. Went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country. So here he has rejected the father. He wants to be independent. And he attaches himself to the citizen of the far country. And then it continues. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Do what? Here's this Jewish boy who left home and now he's out feeding the pigs. That's not what he had signed up for. That's not what he had expected at all. But that is the depravity in the far country. Then we see the son's decision. And in the pig pen he made a decision. I think one of the problems we have in society today is that people can't get in the pig pen today. Now, I'm not saying that's a good place to be, but I am saying that sometimes you have to get in the pig pen to learn the lesson you need to learn. But today, there's always someone around to bail you out. 
About the time you get in the pig pen, the, the government comes along and says, no, you don't need to be in the pig pen. Here's, we're going to get you out of that. Or the church comes along and says, you don't need to be in the pig pen. We're going to get you out of that. So people can't get in the pig pen today. Intentions are good, but oftentimes the results are not because it was in the pig pen that this boy returned to his senses. Look at verse number 17. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? In other words, there in the pig pen, he said, I must have been out of my mind when I left home. Something was wrong with me when I left home. My father's servants have more than enough food, and I, the son, I'm dying here with hunger. He returned to his senses. He recognized his sin. There was an admission in verse number 18. I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. Isn't that interesting? Here he is in the pig pen. He said, I'm going to get up, go home, say to my father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. No excuses. He offers no excuse. No blame. He didn't blame anyone. He could have blamed the father, could have blamed his brother, could have blamed society, could have blamed bad luck. He could have blamed a lot of things because that's what we do. No excuses, no blame. I will go to my father and say, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. He admitted his unworthiness in verse number 19. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. He said, Father, I'll say to my father, I'm not worthy and I need your mercy. Ladies and gentlemen, when we see ourselves as we are, then we see our unworthiness. As the song says, nothing in my hand I bring, only to thy cross I cling. He returned to his senses. He recognized his sin and he repented of his sin in verse number 20. And he got up and came to his father. You see, repentance involves admission. You, you never repent of sin until first of all you admit that you're a sinner. But re repentance requires action. Repentance is not just, uh, well, you know, I'm sorry. The word repent means a change of mind that produces a change of direction. That I'm going in one direction, I turn to go in a different direction. So it requires action for repentance to be real. It requires action. Then we see the son's destiny because destiny is determined by decisions. So he decided what he was going to do. He's going to return home. And so we see the father's mercy, verse 20. He got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Folks, you can underline that verse of scripture because that is the best description of God in the Bible. That's a picture of God, of his mercy. We see his eyes of mercy. Barnes wrote, this is a beautiful description. The image of his father's happening to see him clad in rags, poor and emaciated, and yet he recognized his son and all the feelings of a father. The Bible says that he saw him while he was a great way off. Why was that? He was looking for him. See, the son was... A great way off. He was down the, down the road. 
The father saw him because he was looking for him. I, I would imagine that it was hard to recognize his son. He wasn't dressed the way he was when he left home. His beard was disheveled, his hair. Been hard on him. He'd been in the pig pen. But the father recognized him. That's my boy. And while he was a great way off, the father saw him because he'd been looking for him. I think every day that father got up and thought, today's the day that my son might come back home. This might be the day that he comes home, that he returns. And the father never quit looking for him. Always looking down that road. So we see his eyes of mercy. We see his heart of mercy. The father wasn't looking for revenge. He extended compassion because that's the heart of the father. We see his eyes of mercy, his heart of mercy, his feet of mercy. Barnes wrote, the love and joy of the old man were so great that he hastened to meet him and welcome him to his home. I think that's such an incredible picture. The boy is down there. He's, I'm sure that he was nervous. Going to see the father again. And when the father saw him, the Bible says that he ran to him. Now that was not considered dignified for a man over 30. But the father wasn't concerned about dignity. He was concerned about his son. And so the Bible says that he ran to him. We see his arms of mercy. He hugged him. How long had it been since anyone hugged this boy? How long had it been since anyone extended compassion and kindness and love to this boy? The Bible says that he hugged him. We see his lips of mercy because the scripture says that he kissed him. One commentator wrote, this was a sign at once of affection and reconciliation. This must at once have dissipated every doubt of the son about the willingness of the father to forgive and receive him. That boy had been in the pig pen thinking about his life. He finally put his pride aside and said, I'm going home. Say to my father of sin, just make me one of your hired servants. That's enough. I'm not worthy to be your boy. The father saw him while he was a long way off, ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him, and welcomed him home. He restored him. Look at verse number 22. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring out the best robe, the best robe in the house. The robe that was reserved for festive occasions, put it on him. Here's a boy been in the pig pen with all the stench of the pig pen. Get the best robe and put it on him. Put the ring on his hand. That was the family ring. That was the ring that had the family seal. When he left, he gave up the authority of the family. Didn't have it anymore. But when he comes now, the father says, give him his authority back. Give him the ring. Put shoes on his feet. See, slaves didn't wear shoes. Sons did. So he said, put shoes on his feet. He fed him, verse number 23. And bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and be merry. 
He went from perishing in hunger to feasting at his father's table. He was restored, verse 24. The son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. There was joy. When that that is lost is found, there's joy. That was true with the sheep, verse number 6. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. That was true with the coin in verse number 9. When she had found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. And it was true with the son in verse 24. And they began to be merry. There was joy because that that was lost was found. What's the message of this parable, this part of it? Well, that the lost can be saved. Even if you're in a pig pen, the lost can be saved. And the saved can be restored. Maybe you do know the Lord, but you have left the Father. Today you can be restored. The song says, I've wandered far away from God. Now I'm coming home. The paths of sin too long I've trod. Lord, I'm coming home. Coming home, coming home. Never more to roam open wide thine arms of love. Lord, I'm coming home. My friend, I believe today that some of you are in the distant country. Living your life among the pigs. When the Father is waiting to welcome you. To restore you. Get the best robe, put it on him. Get the family seal, give it to him. And put some shoes on his feet. Because this my son was lost and now he's found. He was dead. Now he's alive. Why would anyone reject the love and grace and mercy of the Father? I pray today that you will not. Father in God, I come to you and ask that you speak to the hearts of those that would be in the far country. Lord, maybe they ended up there and don't even know how they got there, but they know they're away from you. Lord, I pray that you would bring them home today. Lord, I thank you that when we come, you receive us in your love and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a moment, we'll stand. The choir will sing a hymn of invitation. My friend, if you're here and do not know Jesus Christ as Savior, would you come to him today? Would you commit your life to him today? He'll receive you. He'll forgive you. No matter where you've been, what you've done, he will forgive you and love you if you'll come. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open. We'd love to have you as a part of our family. If you just need to come as a child of God who's in the far country and kneel at this altar, maybe not even talk to anybody, just talk to God. I want you to feel free to do that. Come home today. Stand with me as they sing, you come. I'll greet you as you come.